Welcome back to Extra Point on this Thursday, March 23rd. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today. And we pop on out to the KDOS hotline, joined by Doug Haller of The Athletic to talk ASU, Bobby Hurley contract extension, and some other things around Valley sports. Doug, as always, Bob and Kayla, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you guys? We're doing fantastic. Well, let's first start here with the news from the week. Bobby Hurley getting a two-year contract extension to stay as Arizona State's head coach through the 2026 season pending Arizona Board of Region approval. What does the enthusiasm level feel like after ASU's play-in game and almost a win over TCO in the first round of the tournament? Does this now feel like something is building or did it just feel like an inevitable thing that this contract extension was coming? Yeah, that's a great question. I think with the way they finished the season, uh, you know, and it started with that late February win over Arizona and Tucson, um, you know, and then, I mean, they were pretty much, they were they were on the outside looking in until that happened uh, on the outside of the NCAA tournament. And then they did what they had to do. You know, they went in the in the, turn, the Pac-12 tournament in Vegas, they beat USC, um, played maybe their best game of the season against Nevada in the first four and really just, battle TCU um, <laughs> again just just really fought and it was one of those games where you really uh, where you know both teams probably deserve to win so in that sense in the fact that this is probably uh, I don't know if it was Bobby's best team but I think you could make an argument that it might have been one of his best seasons so yeah I think the extension was good um, and probably needed um, you know the fact though that it came you know, after, you know, when his contract is expiring after the 2024 season, you know, Bobby was kind of out there dangling a little bit. Um, usually these things are done taken care of sooner, so it's not something that schools can recruit against him with um, because, you know, every parent, every kid wants to know, are you going to be there? And, you know, Bobby didn't have that security until he got the extension. So, you know, I don't know if, you know, that, that, that suggests that this wasn't a slam dunk, that the administration wanted to see some things before they uh, put out the extension. And, you know, Bobby Bobby delivered on his part, and the university responded. So um, whether or not they could build off of it, I don't know. I think Arizona State's one of those programs where every year you're just going to reset, uh, you know, with the transfer portal and everything else. But we'll see. But it, it's definitely, uh, like I said, one of Bobby's better, better seasons uh, this year. Yeah, after the loss to TCU, he was asked about the state of the program, and I think it's safe to say that he was rather defiant in his answer. <laughs> so uh, how would you describe the state of the ASU program? Well, but I think it's right where, where it always is. Um, I mean, I've had this conversation a lot over the years, and you know, it always starts with ASU should be competing for Sweet 16s, for Pac-12 championships. Uh, of course, they haven't been to a Sweet 16 since, since 1995. They haven't. They've never won the Pac-12 regular season title or the Pac-12 tournament. Um, I, you know, I, I think going into every year, Pac, Arizona State is a bubble team. I mean, that's the baseline. They go into every season. Uh, the bubble NCAA tournament uh, is the realistic expectation. You know, just getting in. And some years they're going to win a few games and they're going to make it. And some years they're going to lose a few key games and not make it. Um, I just think that's the program. You know, if you want to. If you want to elevate it, you need to put more resources into it. You need to, to fix some things around the program. And I know that the state or the arena has gotten a lot of attention and the state that, that it's in. Uh, but, you know, I just feel like with, with where they're at, what they've done, um, you know, it's really hard. It's a hard job. And to I think John Canzano uh, up in Oregon had a list of, 
where Arizona, where all the Pac-12 schools ranked as far as what they put into the basketball program, and ASU was the middle of the pack, and I think that reflects where they are. Um, will they have a year where they exceed expectations? No doubt. But I do think Bobby, his best thing that he did this year, two things. One, he really worked the transfer portal to his advantage. Uh, the Cambridge brothers were, were great additions. Uh, Frankie Collins as a point guard, a guy who contributed – or distribute the ball was was a great addition, and you saw that this team played together better than some of Bobby's former teams have, and you know also, uh, you know, I just think that that's one thing that he has in his favor, and also just the playing style. You have to have something to get people to to come to ASU, and I know sometimes it rubs people the wrong way about maybe taking bad shots and all that, but if you think about it, you know, what, what does Bobby have to sell uh, when he recruits? They, they don't have a strong position. They don't have great facilities, but he does have a playing style where players can be themselves, particularly guards, and uh, that's something that he's, that he's always delivered on. He's always gotten good, good guards. Doug Howler of The Athletic right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. You alluded to the facilities, so let's just touch on this now. Uh, what do you make of Ray Anderson being quoted back in February as saying Desert Financial Arena is in, quote, dire need of improvements? Meanwhile, ASU President Michael Crow told the state press that Desert Final Financial Arena is, quote, completely functional and it's actually a fine facility and just needs some updates and said that he doesn't know what Anderson means by dire. Ultimately, how much of a factor is the arena in the recruiting element, the aesthetic element, and really the environment for fans and students and student athletes well it's it's incredibly important um you know and just w- when michael crow said that i i reached out and texted uh some some pac-12 former pac-12 assistants who i've gotten to know over the years and asked them like just you know what do you make of desert financial arena is it is it functional as michael crow said uh is it a disadvantage uh and Pretty much, I got one coach who said it was average. One said, um, you know, among all the conferences he's worked in over his career, it's among the worst arenas he's been in. Um, And it's not so much, you know, if you just go in, you know, the actual court itself isn't bad. Um, It's everything around it. The the thing that fans can't, the things that fans can't see, the locker rooms are 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 subpar. Uh, The weight room is old. Um, Those are things that help you in recruiting and when you have coaches uh you know even as far back as Herm Sindek who said that they tried to avoid taking players on recruiting visits to the arena or at least spending um <laughs> the least amount of time there as possible that that is a problem because you know how it is in college athletics uh those things matter to kids and you know some of the things that Michael Crow said needed improved or needed improvement, needed update, are things that I've heard for a number of years, not just like recently. It's, it's been it's been out there for a while, and it still hasn't been fixed. Um, so I think that's a starting point. Is you know, if people, I know some people were wanting a coaching change. You know, I don't know how much would change unless you you know you address the things that uh, you know that matter like that. So uh, it is. It's not a positive by any means. In fact, one coach told me that uh, I reached out to said that you know what, what Bobby's done there, given the arena, has been almost miraculous. Um, that might be a little bit strong, but that definitely you know demonstrates or at least uh, shows what people think of the arena. Last thing for me, as far as ASU goes in the Pac-12, you know, obviously Crow and uh, Robbins and Tucson, and I believe it was the Utah administrator. One of them, I'm not familiar with his name, but. 
they've all spoken out here in the last you know, week or so to kind of you know building a fence basically almost sounds like uh, in universal uh, you know, comments about the the the, the Pac-12 is good as is, and we're not leaving, and la di da. Uh, you, you, should we, should we believe that stuff? <laughs> I wouldn't believe anything, Bob. <laughs> um, okay. I mean, obviously, if the word is out that you know, like, hey, I'm sure, you know, the commissioner George Kliakoff doesn't uh, appreciate that while he's trying to negotiate a meteorite deal, there are all these reports that certain Pac-12 schools are talking to the Big Twelve. <laughs> um, that that would seem to lessen the value of the Pac-12. So I don't think it was an accident that, that so many um, presidents at the same time, within a matter of days, uh, you know, kind of spoke publicly and put out a unified front. Um, I, I do think a lot of it is just premature. I, I don't doubt that there's some conversations between certain schools in the Pac-12 and the Big 12. Um, how serious that is, you know, com- what does conversations mean? Who knows? Um, but you know, I do think it's kind of a wait and see mode. Let's see what deal, media rights deal we can get, and then we have something to go on. You know, we can compare it to what other school, what other conferences are getting, and then we can make a decision. But, you know, at this point, I think it's foolish uh, based on, you know, if, if the Pac-12 hasn't learned its lesson with what happened with USC and UCLA, then, then shame on them, because when it comes down to it, every school is going to ultimately do what's best for themselves, and they probably should. I mean, that's kind of the landscape that we're in now in college sports. Doug Howler of The Athletic here on KDUS AM 1060 in the extra point. One more for me on the conference here. So with USC and UCLA set to leave for the Big Ten in 2024, does this change uh, the perception of like the next schools that are supposed to elevate themselves into being contenders here? Of course, you have U of A and their strength here, but the rivalries between U of A and UCLA going away, does this 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 is lend itself to ASU uh, kind of catapulting itself into the conference or are those just really unrealistic expectations well it should yes i mean definitely in football when you when you lose an anchor like usc that provides an opportunity to move up but you know we just saw this with clay helton when uh he was during the clay helton years at usc they were down and arizona state certainly didn't take advantage of it uh utah did utah kind of became that anchor um at least in the South Division when there was a South Division. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's an opportunity there. Uh, You know, it sounds like there's some momentum behind having San Diego State join the conference to give it a Southern California presence. Obviously, San Diego State doesn't have the tradition and prestige at USC. But, yeah, I mean, there's an opportunity for everyone to kind of step up and become that anchor program in the (laughs) Pac-12. You know, it's just a little bit interesting right now because we're not real sure what the Pac-12 will look like when all this is over with. But, you know, I feel like Arizona State has had that opportunity in the past, especially, like I said, in the recent past, and just didn't take advantage of it. Okay, on to the Suns we go. As they stagger to the finish line in the regular season here, obviously no Aiton and no Durant. Uh, you know, this morning, a story that uh, you wrote, uh, published about uh, five big concerns. Uh, the, 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 you know, I've talked about some of these on the air the last couple of weeks, and maybe a couple I haven't, but... Uh, how much of this concern just kind of evaporates if Kevin Durant comes back and is healthy in place? Well, I think a lot of it does. Um, but because he's just so talented, and I think the Suns will uh, just when they just showed flashes when he was out there on the court during those three games, you could see like, okay, this has this has real potential. Uh, this could be special. But 
you know, just given the time frame of, you know, with his ankle and when he might return and, you know, he showed that he can come back and play at a high level level fairly quickly, that he won't be rusty or the time off won't bother him. But it's just everything else around him, you know, and the fact that, that Monty's still kind of figuring out the rotations, not a huge deal, but you want to have that stuff pretty much, you know, in place going into the playoffs and not figuring it out in the early rounds of the playoffs. And I think that's probably what the Suns are looking at. Uh, the biggest issue, and if I had to do that, story over again I probably would have led with the defense you know number one because you know just you know I think teams have figured out attack the rim against the Suns um, especially with DeAndre out not that he was a great shot blocker but you know not a lot of resistance I know Bismack Biombo had some great blocks last night but you know worst case scenario they may foul you and put you on the line but you know the last two games against Oklahoma City a game in which they led by 10 for most of the game I think Oklahoma City was 11 for 18 in the fourth quarter against the Suns and then last night against the Lakers, the Lakers were 9 of 11 in the fourth quarter. And, you know, they're just not getting stops. They're just not getting stops to give themselves a chance. You know, and then there's the whole free throw thing, uh, which I'm sure you've probably discussed. But uh, definitely there, there are some issues that, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting the way it's changed in just a month from when Kevin Durant came to where they are now. Well, Bob's certainly been harping on the defensive end of things for a while now, so I'll piggyback off of that. Uh, it can Kevin Durant also change how things operate on the defensive end when he returns? And can it change enough for it to be successful coming out of the West? Well, I mean, he's obviously one of the best scorers in NBA history, so all the attention goes there. But he, he does play uh, fairly good defense. Uh, he has some length, so you know we saw that uh, just in the three games that he was here. So I think I think it will be an improvement. But you know, just the loss of Mikael Bridges uh, and what he could do the versatility that he had, I think that's, that's huge. I'm not saying that this was a trade that anybody should regret because I would still um, I, I would still would pull the trigger on the trade, even given the freak injury that Kevin had um, just because of the, the upside. But I do think they, they miss him. And, you know, it's kind of a rotation of, you know, when they're going to play, uh, you know, someone like Luca in the playoffs or whatever, that I think it's going to be a rotation of people. Uh, and also Jay Crowder not having him. He's a guy that, that could guard those guys last year. But, you know, I don't know if it's going to make a huge difference when he comes back. I think they'll be better. But I just think with the way the, the roster is right now, they're just not as good uh, a defensive team as they were. And, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, the fouling thing, uh, you know, a lot of that's positioning. You know, a lot of that's just silliness. Um, you know, we saw one last night with Josh Koji in the backcourt just bumping somebody and picking up a foul and put him on the line when, you know, there was no reason to do that. So a lot of it also is just making, uh, just playing smart basketball, I think. Okay. One last thing for me, onto the Cardinals we go. DeAndre Hopkins, will he be traded uh, before or during the draft or after that? I would think they'd want to try to get that done before the draft just to maybe see if they could, uh, you know, move up a certain place, get an additional draft pick, use that to their advantage there. I mean, it's a pretty valuable trade piece to have. Even though, I mean, now when you look back on it, you gave a first-round pick, your first-round pick last or uh, last year for Marquise Brown, uh, or, or for Hollywood, and you know, you may obviously when you're when you're shopping uh, a talent like DeAndre Hopkins, and you don't think you can even get close to that, uh, it doesn't reflect really well. But I, I would think they would try, you know, just try to add additional pieces to this draft just to, to build the roster. You know, I did at the Athletic. We had to put together a mock draft for all the picks, so I went through all of Arizona's eight picks, 
it was difficult, Bob. I mean, just because yeah. you know, outside of Will Anderson at three, which I think is a no-brainer if they keep it, after that there are so many needs. Uh, it's really hard to kind of prioritize what, where they should go at certain or what they should do at certain spots. They just have so many needs. Um, the roster really needs to uh, add talent. So I think if they could train them before, that would be that would be their best move. Doug, as always, we greatly appreciate you taking some time with us on the program, and we look forward to doing it again soon. All right. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Once again, Doug Howler there with The Athletic, uh, his son's stories, his Cardinals stories.